A Gift of True Esteem by Appledell. Chapter 7 Harry spent much of the next week catching up on marking and some other tasks that needed doing before the new term began. He mostly saw Draco in the Great Hall for meals, but he made a point of reading at least one poem out of one of the books Draco had given him, so that they could chat about it over their food. I don't suppose you'd like to come to my rooms for a little supper party I'm having for the new year, Draco suggested one lunchtime. I say party. I've invited my best mate to visit me, and we're having a private feast, and I'd quite like for you to join us. Tomorrow evening at eight. Harry was very willing to have supper with Draco, of course, but... Which friend? I doubt you know him well, if at all. Ash Greengrass? He was in my house, the year below us at school, but he withdrew after our fourth year and went to Beaubaton. His parents saw the writing on the wall, I suppose. Their whole family moved to France. I didn't know him much at Hogwarts either, but I went to Beaubaton to repeat seventh year, as the one I had here did me no good whatsoever, and I didn't even take my NEWTs. We sort of re-met then. He still lives in France, so we haven't seen each other in ages. You'll like him. He's terribly funny. All right, Harry thought. Greengrass. We had a Daphne Greengrass in our year, didn't we? Draco nodded. That's right. She was in my house as well. I thought Daphne had a sister. Ah, yes. So did the Greengrasses, but it turned out we were all mistaken. Oh, said Harry, finally cottoning on. I see. You'll come then? Draco pressed. He's dying to meet you properly. Not in the tiresome Harry Potter way, so don't worry about that. Dying to meet me? Harry frowned. Then something occurred to him and he felt suddenly foolish. Are you dating him? Draco looked as if he were trying not to laugh. No, I wouldn't be coy with you about that. Ash doesn't date men, actually. He's a dear friend, and he wants to meet you because... because I... Draco was going rather pink. I mention you a lot, and he's got curious, I suppose. Harry tried not to smile too much. Oh, you don't talk to me about him. Draco tossed his head, his blush deepening. That must be because he annoys me so much less than you, because he's not so smug all the time. Harry gave up trying not to smile too much. You're sure that's the reason? Do you want me to talk to you about Ash? You don't know him. No, but I like it when you tell me things. And I'll know him after tomorrow. Well, all right then, said Draco. I'll bear that in mind. Harry did like Ash. Ash had a thick blonde beard, two small gold hoops in his left ear, and a tendency to talk with his hands. He laughed easily and smiled even more easily, and Harry's nerves to meet him dissipated very quickly once they'd actually met. He told a number of funny stories about his time with Draco at Bobaton and their flat share before Draco had returned to the school as a professor. Harry could see in him traces of Draco's mannerisms and speech patterns, and it heightened the sense of their likeness though really they were not so very much alike, apart from both being handsome and having blonde hair and light eyes. Ash was squarer and stockier. Draco had grown out of his pointiness that Harry remembered from Hogwarts, but he still tended toward the long and lean. So, what do you do, Ash? Harry asked when Draco had served the pudding. Ash sipped his drink. 
I work in the restoration and preservation of magical artifacts for Gringotts. I didn't know Gringotts was in France, said Harry, licking Gateau off his spoon. That sounds fascinating. Oh, Gringotts is everywhere, said Ash with a wink. Careful, Harry. He'll talk your ear off if you let him build up steam, Draco said, reaching out to top up his glass. It is fascinating, said Ash, shooting Draco a triumphant look. Some people think it's just throwing around a few reparos, but it's Draco Malfoy. Draco jumped and sloshed mulled cider on the cloth. Get a hold of yourself, Greengrass. What do you mean by shouting at the dinner table? Were you brought up in a barn? You've probably burst my eardrum. How could you be so mean as to betroth yourself and not tell me? Ash reached out and caught at Draco's left arm to push at his sleeve, where his cuff had ridden up when he reached out to pour the cider. When did this happen, and who is the lucky gentleman? He looked admiringly at the cuff bracelet on Draco's wrist. This is gorgeous. Look at the working on the leaves. And the moonstones are so fiery I'm getting hot just looking at them. He fanned himself with his hand for emphasis. Draco jerked his hand back, pushing his sleeve down. It's not what you think, he hissed. Calm down, I'll explain later. Harry was feeling rather warm himself but he didn't think he was enjoying it as much as Ash seemed to be. Sorry, what's going on? Our dear mutual friend is parading himself around in moonstones and expects me not to ask, and to calm down, and to wait for explanations later. Ash was certainly overexcited, but he looked so affectionate and genuinely happy for his friend that Harry, understanding only partly, still felt he was about to ruin all this exuberant pleasure and rather wanted to crawl under the table. Do you know who Draco's mystery man is, Harry? I mean, Moonstones. He doesn't know what you're getting at. Leave him alone, said Draco quietly. He doesn't know about Moonstones. Do shut up, Ash. I told you, I'll explain it to you later. What about Moonstones? Harry protested. You're really not going to tell me? Ash opened his mouth to respond, but Draco gave him such a look that he shut it again, holding his hands up in surrender. Traditionally, moonstones are wedding jewels, Draco told Harry in an undertone. Among wizards, a gift of moonstones has certain implications with regard to the giver's intentions. It's a very serious gift. Sort of like how a muggle might offer someone a diamond ring to declare intentions. Harry's mouth fell open. I proposed to you? Ash let out a sort of yelp and clapped his hands over his mouth. Draco ignored him. Of course you didn't. Harry mastered the urge to hide his face in his hands. Why didn't you tell me? Because it's a really beautiful gift, kindly meant, and I didn't want to make you uncomfortable by throwing it in your face. You clearly didn't know. Harry groaned. You must have thought I was such an idiot. No, no, of course not. How were you meant to know something like that? I thought that you're very generous, with a good eye for jewelry. It's just a piece of jewelry, Harry. It's not a binding contract. It's just... it's pretty. Please don't get upset. Jesus. Harry reached for his glass and took a gulp of gilly water. All right, yeah. Sorry, I'm not upset. I'm just... embarrassed. Sorry to disappoint, Ash, he added rather grumpily. He still felt quite overheated. He took another gulp of water. It didn't seem to be helping much. There was an uncomfortable pause, 
Then Draco turned to glare at Ash. You're stone-cold sober, and still making a complete ass of us both at dinner. It's quite amazing. I told you to leave it. Ash returned the glare. I said I was sorry. No, you didn't. Well, I'm sorry, said Ash, then turned to Harry, and asked in a casual tone, as if nothing had happened. Are you muggle-born, Harry? Harry shook his head. No, but I was brought up by muggles. This is just one of those things, I suppose. Not something people think to explicitly mention. Hmm, there really are so many of those in life, Ash remarked sympathetically. Some of them aren't even things you would even think to ask about. From there, the conversation moved on to other things, the bracelet ostensibly forgotten. But over warm protests from Ash, Harry excused himself earlier than he otherwise might have, and went off to bed, still rather feeling as if he'd swallowed something unpleasantly prickly and hot. Do you want to come out to the grounds with Happy and me? It's almost sort of fine out. Harry was determined not to feel awkward about the night before, or at least determined not to be awkward, whatever he felt. So after an uncomfortably polite breakfast in the Great Hall, he invited Draco out for a walk in the grounds, as he usually would have. Draco looked pleased at the suggestion. Just let me get my heavy cloak, and I'll meet you in the entrance hall. All right, I need to go and get happy anyway. Harry fetched his dog and his own heavy cloak, and when he returned to the entrance hall, Draco was waiting for him. They went out through the oak front doors into the snowy grounds. Listen, Harry, Draco began earnestly. I'm ever so sorry about last night. You're right, I really should have told you. Only I didn't want to embarrass you after, well... He trailed off, and Harry knew they were both thinking of Draco finding Abelard's diaries in his desk. Harry squared his shoulders and took a deep breath. I'm not very good with this sort of thing. Well, it's new to you, Draco said, but you'll get used to it. I don't mean about being... being queer. Harry gave himself a moment to appreciate having said it aloud for the first time ever. I mean, about feelings things, in general. I'm not very good at thinking out what I want to happen and then arranging it, or asking, anyway. Draco's eyebrows were drawing together in perplexment. There was a pair of lines between them that always appeared when he was confused. Harry allowed himself to acknowledge that he found it adorable. Anyway, I think sometimes I wait for certain things to just sort of happen. Or when they don't happen, I feel sorry for myself, like it was inevitable, when I didn't even bother saying anything. This has been coming on so slowly that I, I've had time enough to get used to it, and I should, I should say something. Drago bent to pat Happy, as if he needed a moment to hide his face. Say something about what, exactly? He asked carefully. Would you like to have dinner with me? Drago's head whipped up his pale hair flying dramatically about his face. He met Harry's eye with a look of quite outsized delight. But in a moment, he had schooled his features, and he answered carelessly, Oh, I don't know. Where were you thinking of going? Harry laughed, more in his own answering delight than at Draco's joke. I wish you wouldn't be such a smart-ass when I'm trying to ask you out. Draco straightened up and answered in the same careless tone though he couldn't hold back his jubilant smile. I don't think you do wish that, actually. 
I think you quite like my smart ass. Maybe I wouldn't ask if I didn't. Maybe you wouldn't, Draco said with supreme satisfaction. Have I said yes? Not in so many words. Yes, then, said Draco eagerly. Let's. Good morning. My name is Professor Hagrid, and I think I know quite a few of you already. I'm the keeper of keys and care of magical creatures professor here at Hogwarts, and Professor Potter has asked me to speak to the class on account of your starting to learn about dark creatures this term. What I most especially want to say is that every creature, every beast and being, has got its place in the world, same as you and I have. No matter how nasty you might think it is, that's not to say that we'll all be able to hold hands and make daisy chains. Life lives on life, and some of what you'll meet will take a bite of you, if it can get it, and you're best served steering clear of them. Professor Potter will give you a good sense this term of what creatures it's best not to tangle with. But if you can learn to treat every living creature you meet with a bit of respect and consideration, and you take the time to learn their ways, you'd be amazed at how many friends you can make, and with who. If you come poking into places you've no business being, swinging your wand around, and demanding everyone already there has got to give way to you because you know how to fix them if they don't, well, what isn't dark about that? You'll have misused the knowledge we shared with you, and you'll be ashamed to the school and to yourself. And what's more, you'll have missed out on getting to understand the world better. And that isn't just the business of school. It's the business of life. If you're lucky. Now, were there any questions? Even in just the first week after term started again, Harry and Draco were both quite busy. They made a point of doing their marking together in Harry's office before dinner, but there was so terribly much to be done that they were both often silent, but for their quills scratching on parchment, pausing occasionally to stroke Scorpius or Happy, or to sip from a mug of tea. Harry had let Draco in on his habit of reading a poem from one of his books before going down for dinner, and they took turns choosing the night's poem and reading to each other. Harry felt Draco had a good influence on him, as he was utterly shameless and sincere in his reading aloud, and it helped Harry push away his notions that there was something frivolous or pretentious about the reading. One evening, they had just chosen the night's poem, a selection from Harry's Mary Oliver book called The Lover of Earth Cannot Help Herself, when Harry's fire glowed green and Professor McGonagall's head appeared in it. Professor Potter, if you would... Oh, good evening, Professor Malfoy. I suppose I should have expected you. My goodness, that Neasel seems bigger every time I see him. That is neither here nor there. A word, Potter, if you would be so kind as to step through into my office. Of course, Professor. Harry handed Draco the book with a bemused lift of his eyebrows. Draco gave a tiny shrug in answer and bent to pet Scorpius, probably so that he would not be tempted to laugh. Professor McGonagall stepped back from her fire and Harry followed her into her office. Have a seat, Potter. Professor McGonagall was already situating herself behind her desk. Harry sat. Tea, Potter. Biscuit. Harry accepted a piece of shortbread from a tartan tin. Thanks. You're very welcome. Professor McGonagall took a biscuit herself. How is your first week of term going? Oh, it's fine. Seems like it goes faster and faster every year. I see. Well, maybe we can do a little something about that. Firstly, it's high time I insisted you engage the assistant I've been suggesting for the last three years. Harry sighed. I suppose so. 
I just know I'll get so backed up trying to teach someone new how to do things the way I like them, so I keep putting it off. Nevertheless, said Professor McGonagall, rather sternly. She seemed to make an effort to soften her tone. You've too much to do and not enough time to do it in. I don't want you making yourself ill. I'm fine, Harry said hastily. I like being busy. I know you do, but you need to make yourself delegate. We'll find someone good, someone you can trust, and you must train yourself to offload a bit. That brings me to my next point. Professor McGonagall paused for a long moment, then sighed through her nose. I hope my intentions for you have been clear these last ten years, but the time has come for us to be strictly plain with each other. I shall be retiring soon, Potter. Next year will be my last year at Hogwarts, and I would very much like for you to succeed me as head of the school. If, as I hope, you are amenable, I wish to spend the next year and a half helping you to acquaint yourself with the job. There was a loud snort of disgust from above the desk. Without looking round, Professor McGonagall said sharply, That will more than do, Severus. Be quiet. You make yourself ridiculous. Harry scarcely registered the derision from Snape's portrait. He was gobsmacked. You want me to be headmaster? Professor McGonagall nodded. I do. But I'm far too young. I'm only thirty-five. The Board of Governors... The Board of Governors confirmed you as deputy head when the job has always been intended as a successor for the headmaster. That will not be a problem. And anyway, in your relatively short life, what you have given to this school, here Professor McGonagall's voice grew slightly misty, is rivaled only by Professor Dumbledore. Nearly dying here a half a dozen times doesn't make me qualified to be headmaster. Professor McGonagall shook her head. You misunderstand me. I'm referring to your single-minded, unselfish, unswerving devotion to the well-being of the magical world and your respect for people who come from every part of it. I know you're not ready yet, but I mean to make you ready. Harry opened his mouth to argue, but Professor McGonagall cut across him. Will you please explain to me why, apart from your age, you feel you are unqualified? Because I wasn't brought up to it, Harry burst out. There are all these obscure cultural details that I don't know anything about, and I don't even know when I don't know. I don't have the nuance I need to fit the students to live in the magical world on my own, or to work with the parents and the governors, and I don't want important things passing over my head for such a stupid reason, or for all of them to start thinking of me as an outsider because I don't know the history and the culture well enough. I'm not ready. Hmm, Professor McGonagall looked thoughtful. That is not an insurmountable difficulty, in my opinion. Hermione could do it, Harry said rather wistfully. She'd find all the right books. Professor McGonagall looked amused. I think you have managed very well as an educator here, without the incessant interventions of Hermione Granger. Harry snorted. Thanks. If I may, Minerva, Dumbledore's portrait offered, this is the sort of problem that an excellent deputy head can answer. Often in life, we find our deficiencies answered in an aptly chosen partner. Thank you, Albus. Well said, agreed Professor McGonagall. That may be your solution, Professor Potter. Remember that though you would be in charge, you would not be alone. You'd have your deputy and the rest of your staff as well. You may find you're closer to working it out than you think. 
Dumbledore's portrait added with an air of playful mystery. Thank you, Albus, said Professor McGonagall again, though in rather a different tone than the first time. Harry began to have a tiny suggestion of an idea. Can I think it over? I should be rather alarmed if you didn't, said Professor McGonagall crisply. I'll let you get back to your cosy evening with Professor Malfoy. We like to do our marking together, Harry explained. I'm sure you do. Good evening, Potter. Good evening. It was well into dinner by the time Harry got back to his office, and he and Draco decided to go straight to the hall and eat, then read together after dinner instead. Draco was quiet and seemed a bit preoccupied through the meal. When they went back to Harry's office, his mind still seemed to be elsewhere. Everything all right? Harry asked. Draco was sitting on the floor beside the hearth for easier access to Happy's basket, and he looked up from petting her. Oh, yes, fine. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Potter, I really, I shouldn't like to rush you. Rush me? Harry could not think what he meant by that. Draco lowered his face over Happy again, his hair tumbling down to hide his expression. Perhaps I'm projecting a bit, because frankly, Harry Potter wants to date me is a bit of a fourth-year fever dream for me. But I shouldn't like to be selfish, and I know you're sort of still getting your head around all this, so if you need a bit more time to sort of process, it's all right, I won't be... It's all right, if if you do. Sorry, my brain is stuck on fourth-year fever dream. You liked me in fourth year. Are you joking? After seeing you outfly a dragon? Draco let out a nervous sort of giggle. I'm being serious, Harry. Are you sure you didn't ask me out because, you know, you were excited to realize something new about yourself, and you happened to have a very charming and attractive gay man in your immediate vicinity? Harry thought that was a bit hard on him, and for a moment he wanted to answer indignantly, but he thought of Draco's beautiful silver lion, twining about him so guilelessly, with such warm affection. He crouched down on the floor beside Draco and took his hand. Draco. He waited for Draco to look up and meet his eye. I like you. I, I want to know more of you. Okay? Draco's cheeks flushed the tiniest bit pink. Okay, he nodded. I want that as well. About you, I, I mean. Harry bit his lips so that he wouldn't laugh. Can I kiss you? Draco nodded, his flush deepening. Harry knew he knew what to do here. He was good at kissing. He let go of Draco's hand and cupped his face gently, lightly, then leaned in slowly till his nose brushed Draco's, till his breath fell on Draco's face. He raised his chin and parted his lips and held until Draco leaned the last bit in and kissed him, sweet and light and tentative. They parted after a long moment, Draco still blushing, but beaming. I didn't mean for our first kiss to be on the floor in my office, Harry remarked, settling more comfortably onto the floor beside Draco. Oh no? No, I actually made a plan. It was meant to be on our first date. How traditional of you, Potter. Harry laughed. Draco, when we're kissing, you've got to use my first name. Hmm. It is really hot saying it, actually. Harry. 
Draco pronounced his name as if it were deliciously taboo. Just a little treat I've concocted for myself over the last twenty-four years. Tell me about our first date. Harry mimed, locking his mouth and throwing away the key. I've made an actual plan for once, and I'm not going to muck it up by telling you everything in advance. While we're on the subject, are you free next Saturday? I'll make myself free. Give me a hint, a tiny hint. Have pity on me, or tantalize me, whichever appeals to you more. Harry considered. Dress warm. Draco groaned. Scarcely a hint, since it's January. Mean. I've plumped for tantalize. Dress really warm. All right, said Draco cheerfully. But if you make me hike, I shall do you in. Kiss me again, Harry, in case I have to push you off a mountain and ruin our date. Harry was happy to oblige. Dear Harry, I was absolutely delighted to receive your letter. I would be happy to recommend someone to you. I know just the person for your assistant. She's clever, efficient, and very honest. Won't stand too much on ceremony, and I know that tends to be how you prefer things. She's been the office administrator in magical games and sports for the last five years, and they absolutely rave about the drastic improvement she's made in that office. But she happened to mention to me that she's looking for a change and might want to get out of government work altogether. If I were you, I'd snap her up straight away and not let the grass grow under my feet. Her name is Sarah Brewer, and she's given me permission to enclose her CV. Do let me know how it turns out. Hope you're well. Audrey sends his love. We were so sorry to have missed you seeing Ginny and Faye, and we must catch up soon. Yours faithfully, Percy I. Fairfax Weasley. ETL Echo. Echoing Tales of Enemies to Lovers.